welcome to Going Off Track. Hello, and welcome back. It's been a little while. <laughs> the mountain man has returned. Yes, I'm here uh, just in time for New York to be... Uh, to be decent. To be decent. It seems like this has been a long winter, doesn't it, Brad? Yeah. You've got about, you've got about two weeks before it turns to shit, I'm sure. Yeah. You think? Dude, spring and fall, like, they don't last here. Yeah. Any New Yorker knows that. That's what they bitch about. That is about. true. That is true. <laughs> what have you been up to, Brad? What have I been up to? Uh, playing a lot of music with, yeah. like, yeah, I'm going to do a show with my kids on at their school on nice. Friday. That's, that's... This that's Friday? My scene now. This Friday? Yeah, that's my scene. Is that, can people listen to the podcast? Go check that <laughs> no. out. No? <laughs> no. It's an in-school thing. Gotcha. My daughter's doing a song. Yeah. Got some soccer practice to this afternoon. Nice. With the kids. Nice. I've been, I've been Mr. Mom. This sounds good. This sounds nice. Playing, but it sounds like you've really gotten your kids involved in like cool interests, oh, yeah. uh, you know, music, soccer. These are... They're good too. They're good. Oscar's, the six-year-old's got great rhythm. So oh, yeah. We got a drummer. Yeah. That's great. I'm playing bass in this band. Okay. <laughs> I saw what lean on me. Yeah, that's it. I saw the lean on me tabs <laughs> on, on the counter. So yeah, so it's my I wasn't sure if you were just refreshing. It's her last, you know, it's her last year at the school. So I told her if you sing this song on stage at the last like get together, you'll get tears from the parents. Yeah. So that's what we're going for. It's a great song. It's a great song. <laughs> I uh, I've had some some uh, some writing if people want to check out. I did recently read Spike Lee Whoa. for Vice's uh, food site Munchies oh. about their new pie in the sky campaign where you can uh, order a uh, pizza from Patsy's in Harlem out to Los Angeles. Right, I actually did this that. interview a little while ago, um, but uh, but yeah, I met I met Spike Lee at Patsy's. So, what does that cost? Oh, I actually don't know. I don't know what it costs. <laughs> I know that like I got there and they were like putting it together and it was like Spike Lee was doing like a handful of press interviews and I was like kind of waiting outside. They gave me a bunch of pizza and then they were like, all right, Spike's ready for you. And you just kind of like walk down through this whole like white tablecloth restaurant that's empty except for like Spike Lee, like sitting at a table in the corner and I'm like kind of like wedge myself in and I'm Total like mob style. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> and it was funny because like, so we did this interview, it was maybe like 10 minutes long. It's mostly about pizza he was cool. He was cool. Um, but after the interview, they were like, wow, what did you, what did you say to Spike? They're like, he was laughing so much during the interview. Like he hasn't been, you know, like they're like, he was, what were you saying? And I was like, oh no, he was just like laughing at me. <laughs> <laughs> like I would just say stuff. Like I'd be like, hey, so Spike, don't you think like they should do a reverse promotion where California sends us Mexican food? And he was like, why? There's good Mexican food in New York. And I was like, <laughs> Yeah, but it's good. In, it's better in LA, right? Like, and he's like, "You're just not going to the right places," and just started laughing at me. And I was like, "Where are the right places?" And he just was like, ignoring me. So it's like I felt like there were a lot of like a lot of moments where I sort of he was laughing at me, but it was for the good of the good of the piece, dude. I gotta check it out. Check it out. Um, and I think I have some other stuff. I don't know if you check my Twitter. My name is Jonah. I've like really been. I haven't been as active, but I've been trying to keep active with my writing stuff. I interviewed uh, under oath recently for Revolver. It's there, man. It's there. Look it up. Check out Twitter. It's a, you can find you. You can find me. Um, today in the podcast, we have someone I met before Twitter even existed. Wow. Before There we, was a time? There was a time. It's a time of peace and tranquility in yes. the earth. Tranquility. <laughs> this is Dana Boy. Uh, I, I wasn't actually sure how to pronounce this. I believe it is... Uh, we talked about this, right? Dana Boy? 
Because it looked kind of... I know he said some people pr- pronounce it as Dana Bowie. Bowie. Hey, yeah. Bowie. But it is <laughs> vocalist and multi-instrumentalist Dana Jansen, who uh, you might know from Akron Family. Akron Family is a band that formed in Ithaca when I was going to college. So I found out, I think during this interview, that Dana didn't actually go to Ithaca College. Right. I was just dating someone there. No, he took classes. He took classes. The classic move, like, which is so brilliant. Yeah. I'm surprised, like, I should have done that. Yeah. So I always thought he was a student. Right. And then I remember I moved to New York and, like, you know, this guy Seth lived there. And I I think everyone, Ryan, like, all these guys from this band, I moved to New York and you go into other music and there'd be, like, a huge poster for their band. Right. Um, So I think there's sort of, we talked about it, you know, what the status Akron family is, but... Dana, I got a press release that he was doing this. He's based in Portland, and he just put out a record. Um, well, didn't just put it out. At the time of this interview, he just put it out. But uh, in February, he put out a record called Ice Glitter Gold that was put out by Everloving. Um, and yeah, check out, check it out. Yeah, you can check it out. We talked a lot about, what did we talk about? Malcolm Gladwell, Portland, Ithaca, <laughs> uh, obscure bands. I went to college with and we talked about you know michael Girard from swans who signed akron family to his label you're doing it oh, i'm doing the thing where i <laughs> where i say everything we talked about brad puts out this list of like keywords and then i just like to read them all but i think we got into you know some interesting some some more spiritual some more uh esoteric stuff while also kind of keeping it relevant to music so anyways uh i want to thank uh dana for coming by Check out Dana Boy's B U O Y's It's Glitter Gold. Boy. And uh, <laughs> yeah, here's Dana on Going Off Track. It's going off track. Do you, you ever listen to the Malcolm Gladwell podcast, Revisionist I've, History? I've downloaded it. Does that count as listening oh my God. to it? It's, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. But the first episode, good? oh my God, I'm, I'm obsessed with really? it. Really? Okay. The first episode of the second season is about um, golf courses in Los Angeles. Really? And it's the same sort of principle how like they, um, they don't pay taxes like they're, they don't pay appropriate taxes on their land because um, of ownership hasn't technically changed hands since it was originally um, started back in the fifties or whatever it was. And then, you know, Bob Hope became this big, like, advocate for like the golf courses and this and that he was like their spokesperson and so they helped pass prop 57 or whatever it was where like that said that it rolled in favor of the course like maintaining ownership since its inception so therefore it doesn't have to pay taxes on its new owners which are the inherited that's ones. so crazy it's the difference of they should be like the estimated value is in the billions like multiple billion dollars and so they should be paying 90 million dollars at least in taxes a year they pay nine thousand. And all that money that is not getting paid by them is spread out amongst the other taxpayers of Los Angeles. So everybody's paying to uh, let these fucking assholes play golf on this fucking... That is like... In a place where there's like no water. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and the maintenance on a sand pit is uh, like dude, expensive as shit. It insane. makes no sense. That's... It's infuriating that's to listen to That's how the proletariat rises up. <laughs> yeah. They get that message out there. And when you fly over LA, like what's something he noted he mentions is that like all the greenery you see outside of Griffith Park is private golf courses. Everything is a private golf course except for Griffith Park. That's Holy the only shit. public park in the city. They have like a little dirt path around most of these places that you can like run on and like look over the fence and see like maybe some guy in there. Right. But most often just an empty field. You oh know, my and God. it's it's insane. And you're <laughs> and you're paying and you're paying to have that be there. Oh my God. Yeah. That's, paying that a lot. Is so crazy. Paying a lot. Subsidizing a lot. <laughs> oh 
god! But give it a listen. It's a good. It's a great I podcast. I like will. all of it. Like all, both seasons are really. Yeah, amazing. I gotta listen. I like him. I like yeah. him. Too. He's a genius. Yeah, he's a great. He's a great talker, man. Ever since I heard that, I was my intro to him. Well, I guess I had Blink or not Blink, The Tipping Point. I read that book, and then I saw his um, TED talk about the spaghetti sauce one. Obviously, when I had Everyone my sees. afro, um, I got mistaken for him a couple times. Did you? Which is <laughs> weird because so we look nothing alike, but we had similar hair. <laughs> right. But I remember he's being, Indian and Jewish, right? Yes, yeah, yeah, and like also like 15 years older than me or something. And 15 years older <laughs> but yeah. than you. But some guy I was in a lobby, and some guy did like a double take. I was like, "Excuse me, are you Malcolm Gladwell?" And I was like, "No, <laughs> no dude, not even close." <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. We're good. We're good? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, cool. All right. Dana. Hi. Thanks for coming to Brad's Place. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Brad's Place. Of course. Uh, I was, uh, I was, we were talking about the last time I saw you, mm-hmm. was in Portland, mm-hmm. and I was like on the sidewalk Yeah. Um, with Vanessa, and you were like in a car, and you just pulled over, and you were like, hey. Yeah. That's how, I think that that's the most frequent way of running into people in Portland. Actually, you know, uh, it happened to me, I was driving... Um, I have a, I just got a new truck. It's a 1986 Ford Bronco. Nice. <laughs> new to we me. call that, uh, here in the city, we call that an upstate An car. upstate car. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you live around mountains and it makes, it's, it, it, it makes sense to have a oh, yeah. four wheel drive vehicle. It's fun. You know, it's nice to get out in the woods. Um, but I was driving my, my truck down past the new seasons. I look out my window and Nick Aves was standing on the corner and I like, no a friend way. of ours from college, and I like I, I waved, and he waves, and we're like, "What's up?" And I kept on going because I was in the middle of something, as he was too. But texted later was like, "Is that you, really?" Yeah, yeah. that was me. Cool. <laughs> That's cool. So yeah, so me and Dana went to college together. All right, back in the late nineties, yeah, two thousands, yeah. Did we? Were we? Were you at Ithaca College? Or you I was were, never actually enrolled okay. in any college okay. in my life. I've, att- I've, att- I've att- you know attended many university parties yes and events yes but i never actually um coughed up the tuition fee Smart. to go to the yeah. well nowadays still it's, for it just, right exactly <laughs> like as most of my friends are it's like they have this uh this cloud of doom hanging over their heads and um and uh, i seem to have gotten lucky to have avoided that so how did you kind of end up in ithaca playing um, music? well it um it was a it was a girl okay it was a girl um she was Actually, she wasn't in Ithaca. She was going to Hobart and William Smith in Geneva, New York. And Ithaca was close enough that actually had things happening, kind of, you know? So, like, I was like, I'll give this a go. And um, I knew some people, Andrew Battles, who was there playing music, and a, and, uh, and a friend of ours, Anna McKenzie, that we grew up in. So we were just like, yeah, um, makes sense to try Ithaca out for a while. And so, yeah, I stuck around for, I was there for a year and a half, I guess. Okay. Before I came here. Okay. That's it? Really? Yeah. Not very long. Okay. Yeah. And you were, so your band, and, and it's probably something you never talk about, you were in a band before Akron Family in yeah. Ithaca with Andrew Battles. Yeah. Called? Gentleman Jones. Gentleman Jones. Yeah. That's right. Gentleman Jones is a pretty sick band, yeah. I gotta say. It was fun. Yeah. yeah. I, I liked that band, man. I thought it was a lot of fun. We had a fretless bass player. <laughs> that was Andrew? Andrew Battles. Okay. Yep. Yep. And uh, we forced him to play our indie rock, and uh, he had a good time. I've seen, like, guys that came from jazz, yeah. like, bass players play you know play rock or yeah alternative music and if they have the right drummer it's really cool it works exactly but if the drummer's a little bit no I less feel like- than confident or if the drummer's one of those guys who's really good and listens to the bass player too much right it gets Can weird tangentially go off right? yeah, yeah yeah for sure 
Um, I think that's pretty much true for most bands, though. Like the drummer is the that's the foundation. Well, yeah, right. That's like I mean, the, that's an obvious. But yeah. I mean, in this instance, you can really. I mean, you can the you can get away with using kind of a in that mm-hmm. kind of bass player. Yeah. Well, the Grateful Dead, for example, right. might be a good example. <laughs> like Phil would oftentimes just noodle off on his own. I mean, this might be this is a terrible example. They would all yeah. noodle <laughs> off on their own. <laughs> so I'm back. I back that one up. Um, I'll think of a better example, but. But yeah, I I, I I'd love I, to hear it because it just it's I'm intrigued. By I'm it sure now. there's a tape or a, a a vellum envelope CD running around somewhere. I'll dig one up and I'll mail it to you. Okay. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. I I was I mean we were saying earlier like it was such a crazy kind of scene with our bands in college. Like yeah. I feel like there were so many good musicians. I felt like there were so many like less distractions where I felt like yeah. we would just practice like three times a week because it was like what else are we gonna do uh, yeah. exactly like, exactly and i mean and you're young so you have that time to do that totally. too and no responsibilities it was perfect and yeah less distractions you're absolutely right man i was way more productive in terms of music when i was then and i, I when i was younger and i can't tell if it is because i'm starting to gain more responsibility these days or if it's just that i was less distracted because i mean i noticed that like you know we all have these slot machines in our pockets that are just constantly releasing dopamine in your head and you're just like totally speaking of you know <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's it's crazy and like you just do i just do not get anything done because i'm just always yeah distracted by this this little thing in my pocket it's awful yeah it's crazy yeah. but before those days you, <laughs> before those days yeah you, you uh <laughs> how did you so seth Olinsky mm-hmm. and you formed akron family mm-hmm. and that you guys were based in brooklyn because i felt mm-hmm. like i came yeah. to brooklyn in 07 and i felt like i'd go to like a record store and it was like mm-hmm. all over the place yeah, yeah. Um, so we got here in uh, 2001, 2002, somewhere around there. Okay. Um, and uh, played around the city for a couple of years and ended up doing a residency at Pete's Candy Store. Um, every Sunday of, maybe it was April or something, um, we would play there. And it was so much fun. It was it was a really great experience. Um, but we, 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 well, actually, the the way that it all was set up, I um, I remember Seth and I had a, bundle of uh, cds of our demos right 50 cds and we went over to the astor place starbucks there's a mailbox in front of there and i remember like opening the mailbox and putting them all in closing it and just looking at them like well let's see what happens you know mailed them out to labels right right and um, because we didn't you know this was before digital things like that this was a physical copy it was a very satisfying experience yeah um but we did that we went and had a coffee and um and then went home and we heard back from two out of those 50 uh, Merge Records was kind enough to respond. They sent us a, a postcard that said, "Hey man, thanks for the submission. Unfortunately, our hands are tied, or our, our, we our, our plate is full right now. Something to that effect. Um, but keep up the, you know, keep up the good work." And so it was really nice to like at least get a response. Sure. And the other guy we heard from was Young God Records, Michael Gerard, and he was like just finishing up working with Devendra, and he had time on his hands, and he was just like, "This is great." I, I, you know, I, I really love the sounds. I'd love to see it live. Let's see what, ha- you know, what are you guys playing? And we were like, oh, we're doing a residency at Pete's Candy Store. Come down. And so he ended up coming to all four of those, uh, those shows that month. And he was like just the biggest fan. He stood in the back wearing his like cowboy hat, very ominous figure in this back of this small room, you know, just kind of like going, woo, woo, hooting and hollering at the end of every <laughs> song. And we're all just like, I guess he likes it. This is cool. Um, anyway, so that started that relationship and uh, he was... He was um, inspired by the way we made music and wanted to use us as his musicians for his band, Angels of Light, which was he was doing. And so we recorded a record with him as his backing band and did our first tour together where it was Akron opening up for Angels of Light. And then we would 
play as his backing band as well. So it was kind of like a double duty for the whole tour. Um, and that's where we saw you in Cleveland at yes. the Beachland Ballroom. Yeah, and that must have been, that was, a, I was, 05, I think. 05, yeah, yeah, that would make sense. Um, what was it? I mean, were you guys big Swans fans? Was it was it weird playing with him or no? I personally was unfamiliar with okay. with any of his work. I definitely was too in 05. Yeah, exactly. Like I didn't know anything. Miles, um, the bass player in, in Akron, knew Swans from when he was younger. He was a fan, and uh, and when we you know when we signed with Young God, he gave us um uh, the you know the care package from all of his releases and things like that. And so I, you know, listened to a bunch of the Swans records and it was, it was intense, man. I, I, I was like, whoa, this is the guy we're getting involved with. Like <laughs> some of the song titles alone, before I even put yeah. it on, I was like, what? <laughs> you know? And so, um, I mean, I, I dare, I can't even say the names of these things. <laughs> so, um, so it was weird because like until that point, this was, you know, I'd, I'd met him many times and we had had multiple interactions and he was just this like really sweet guy just this thing that's nice dude and i was just like oh and then you know people would say i would people who were familiar with that band swans would like hear and they'd be like oh that guy's really intense right and i was like not so much you know i mean in the studio he definitely you know after a few beers would kind of start to get um a little more intense because you know we're on a budget and time and just makes people focus he had his own way of doing that and so it was you know a little bit interesting but um but yeah overall it was a really great experience what else were you doing because i know seth was doing like gimme coffee mm-hmm. which yeah. started in ithaca mm-hmm. yeah and yeah. then i remember i would see him at the ones out here like he was very on involved in coffee. Yeah. yeah 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 were you also in the coffee scene yeah that's yeah. what i thought i can't remember this is all like a little bit hazy <laughs> yeah yeah well yeah um i I was um I was really good friends with Mike White who was the manager who was from Ithaca actually and then moved here to open up the Gimme here in Brooklyn which was their first one on Lorimer Street and so uh Seth and I both lived literally one block away from it and it was our coffee shop it was so fort- it was just so crazy that like my favorite shop from Ithaca just moved into my neighborhood in Brooklyn you know it was totally like, the block away it was so random but really awesome and so Seth got a job there helped them open the shop um, I worked there for a little while, uh, and then uh, and then I started waiting tables because it was just easier money yeah. and better money. But um, yeah, because I felt like they were really ahead of that whole like coffee boom. Now it's oh, like absolutely. every block there's like a shop like that. But I felt like when Gimme opened, it was like it was uh, yeah, its own thing. Like this was when the guys on the corner still had the you know you want two cream two sugar totally, right. and and in those Greek cups, the happy to serve you cups, you yes. Know? Um, that was the co- the New York coffee scene. So yeah, Gimme was definitely the first one to kind of break the ground on that. And now you're right; it's like everybody, Stumptown from Portland moved out here. Yep, counterculture, I think, and just everybody has like their own thing in New York, and it's great, you know. But it's also like one of those things where it's just just feels like you're over farming things. You know what I mean? It's kind of like intense in that way. But right, know, that's that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> <laughs> so what what as far as like Akron family goes, you did the. Angels of Light, all this stuff, mm-hmm. and then kind of what happened? You guys put out a bunch more records, or mm-hmm. how did? Because I felt like I would just kind of like listen to stuff and see stuff here and there, but I wasn't yeah. keeping up. Yeah, really. it was. Um, we did the we did how many releases did we do with them? We did the we did the self title, and then after that first tour with him, um, we had a batch of songs that we were playing live that we had been working on that we intended to record at some point, 
And as soon as we got home from that tour, Michael was like, we got to do another, we got to record these songs. We got to do it now. Strike while the iron is hot. It sounds so good. It's so fresh. And we're like, sure, let's do it. And we ended up going to the studio and doing a split with uh, Angels of Light because he had six songs of his own that he wanted to do. And so we did a split where it was um, one half was us, one half was them. But we played on that side as well. So um, we kind of had a through line through the whole thing, which was nice. And then we did, uh, that was Meek Warrior. Then we did, or no, that was, that was the split. Then we did an EP called Meek Warrior where we were um, uh, on tour, running through Chicago, um, got up, teamed up with um, a friend of ours, Hamid Drake. He's like a drummer, really amazing drummer. Does a lot of um, work with William Parker, plays in the city a lot. And uh, so he lives in Chicago. And um, we were coming through town and we were just like, hey, would you be interested in doing a recording with us? And he said, yeah. So we did two 10-hour days with um, a friend of ours, Griff, and came out with Meek Warrior, which was kind of like an EP. And so that was really exciting for us to kind of get to, you know, create with one of our heroes. And uh, it was awesome. And then um, and then after that, we did maybe through, uh, Love is Simple, which was the last record with uh, Angel, or Young God Records. And then we moved on to see uh, Dead Oceans and did three albums. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. And so when did you move to Portland? Um, I left here in 2011, 10, yeah. 9, 12. <laughs> One of those. <laughs> in the 9 to 12 range, somewhere Did you leave there. and come back a few times? Well, I definitely did. Like, yeah. I tried getting out a few times before then. I, I went to North Carolina and, um, in July and August of all times. Worst time to go to the <laughs> yeah. South. Like, what town? Um, the Triangle, like Durham yeah. and Raleigh and, um... And Chapel Hill too, yeah, all three. Right. Spend time and all. Um, and I loved it down there. It was really great, man. It was refreshing to kind of just get out of the city and just, you know, spend some time with some, I had some friends down there, which is why I was going. And so I just spent some time with those guys and just kind of hang out. And But I always came back here um, at the end of it, or it was there for like a month or two at a time and then would come back here. I did that a few summers in a row. And then eventually the last time I went down there for a couple months, I was like, I'm going west. And, um, and I moved, uh, we went out to Los Angeles because I was like, you know, West Coast has to be a city. Right. LA. Yeah. It's a good we'll starting point. Good starting point. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so we went there and I lasted about a month and realized, you know, I was, the car culture is a very different thing for me. I was just not, I mean, I read about it and heard people talk about it and I was like, no, oh, it doesn't sound that bad, you know? And then you get into it and you're stuck in like stop traffic at 1 a.m., on a freeway heading towards Santa Monica, Santa Monica. And you're just like, wait, this isn't life. What's happening right now? What, what am I doing? And I think what people don't realize hearing about it is the car culture. It's, that's, it's everything. It's, everything. it's not like, it's yeah. not like, oh yeah, in New York, there's this, you know, people travel by public transportation, but it doesn't dictate our lives. No, totally. You don't talk about, yeah. well, maybe you'll say what train you took if you got there, but you don't, you know, like yeah, I said, you don't that spend half your conversation. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. Totally. So I mean, LA, it's all about the car. It's a thing. Yeah, travel, it's a thing. Travel. And I mean, and it's lovely out there. It's like, I, I, I always enjoy my visits and like, I really do enjoy going there and I like, I think it's a great city. Um, but yeah, that, like those, 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 th- those aspects of it are just, were too tough for me to handle. So I decided to go up to, um, on a whim, Seth and Allie, um, Seth from Akron and his girlfriend, Allie, um, they were like feeling the same sort of vibe and they just randomly said, you want to try Portland? And I'd been there on tour and I always had a good time and I was like, yeah, let's give it a go. You know, just randomly went up there and we went 
and um and I got a place with uh, an acquaintance or a friend through a friend so um got a place which was like incredible it was an entire house just two of us living there him him and myself and we had a driveway and a backyard <laughs> and I had a, a wolf oven with two stoves in in it or two uh, ovens in it and nice. like a French top and like a nice new wood counter and you know and I was paying way less than I did out here in you New York. You get your drums there. I had my drums in the basement <laughs> and it was yeah. it was perfect. I was I was just like, wow, cool. This is all right, I'll dig this. Living um, the dream. Living the dream, <laughs> totally. But inevitably for the first or not inevitably um in spite of that, for the first six months I kinda had this feeling. I was just like God, did I make a mistake? You know, what did I, did I, did I give up the perfect apartment back in New York? What was I thinking? What, what am I doing out here? And then after that six months, I, um, well, I should also say that I had quit drinking at the time. So I wasn't really going out and like meeting people because, you know, getting get a drink, that's a very easy way to meet people, right? It's a very sure. common thing to do. And so I didn't know how to interact outside of that. I was just like, that's what I did, you know? Um, and so I was a bit confused because i wasn't meeting friends and i was just like oh what is this this is so different everything's so much slower and then after the first that first six months i like just like one day just like felt like i was like a 17 year old just really energetic and vibrant and i just fell in love with it and i just got way into it and i've been there ever since and i'm still enjoying life out there it's nice yeah because i feel like everyone here who talks about moving they're like i want to move but like then I'll lose my apartment and it'll be so expensive if so like i'll never that's live in new york thing. again if the i move perfect apartment thing yeah, yeah that's yeah the, and that's, it like kind of like traps you almost. it's crippling yeah, yeah it really is, i guess man. you know what i should i should yeah new york has the apartment thing that's the yeah the, <laughs> yeah that's the, we the do equivalent talk of about the, the car. real estate as much as yeah. we talk about cars yeah it's true so, there it is yeah <laughs> <laughs> nothing's perfect um so you had so seth was there too so you guys could still mm-hmm. keep keep playing together yeah or how did that well at this point it was like um the band was established enough where we didn't have to like necessarily all be in the same place right. and it, it was it had already started to break off like when when we were here miles left and moved upstate i think for a while with uh with his girlfriend and um and then seth moved to um uh, well, back to Pennsylvania. He and I grew up together in Pennsylvania, just a couple hours west of here. Okay. And he and his girlfriend moved uh, there together, which was like a, just such a random idea. I was just—I mean, it was I, more power to him. But I was like, guys, what are you doing? <laughs> and they had a good time. I think they enjoyed it. But um, eventually, ended up moving out west, and we all went together. Uh, but yeah, so we had already started to like disperse and not necessarily be in the same place because at this point, we were kind of just like getting together to write a record within a couple. Like we would do a couple of weeks of writing together and then go into a studio and sort of finish it there. And, and that was kind of the way we started to work, which was, you know, you spend months on end in a van with a guy and you don't need to be having coffee on Tuesdays. You know what I mean? It's like, yes. it's okay to totally. give some space. And so that was a good thing for our creativity. And, um, yeah, so yeah, but then it was nice. So when Seth and I moved to Portland, it was the first time in a while that we had actually lived in the same town. So it was, it was cool to have that again. We got to like, be creative together and uh it was fun so the sort of the dana Bowie stuff was that something you've been writing for a while like how did that kind of come together no not really i suppose i got started with that with um well it was a project that seth started he was doing this uh this woody guthrie thing where he uh, woody guthrie project where he had uh i think that he was calling the, he was calling it the woody guthrie project but he had written a song called woody guthrie's america and he gave it to friends to ask them to do like their own version of it like a cover of it to sort of put up on a webpage and have it be its own thing and um and i did a i did a, a version of that song and i just kind of got into like the whole just you know write it on my own it was the first time i really started to try to do it in this capacity where i was like 
coming at it from more of like a specifically pop angle because I had never done that before. Um, so and it became a lot of fun. And I was like learning Logic, the program for recording and like, you know, software synths and just got really into that. And so when I moved out to Portland, I just kept on doing it. And this was 2012. I wrote the first Dana Bowie record. And um, oh my God. there it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's got nice. a landline. <laughs> I know. I haven't heard a landline in a long time. I know. Time. It's been a while. <laughs> Good for her. There's something romantic about it, you know. We may be able to get rid of it now. She wanted to keep it because she wanted that hard wire, you know. Right. And like right. now, they just they called us like and said, "Okay, it's all going. It's going to be. Uh, it's going to be digital phone. It's going to be attached to the, you know. The, the it's the not going to be a copper wire." Really? Yeah, she liked the copper wire because, I mean, it used to be the copper wire phones would stay on, like, when the power went out. Oh. And even, like, when we had the hurricane, it stayed on for a little bit. But then, actually, it finally went out because the entire... What about during the blackout? Country, the blackout. That's what... Stayed on? The blackout from the hurricane, yeah. Oh, the... The one from, like, 2004? Uh, Jesus, was that what that was? I don't know. We just left. We left the city. Oh, you did? Yeah, I don't remember... If we had landlines then. That's a good question. It might have stayed on. I wonder. Yeah. I remember that night. That was a beautiful night. Like seeing I was on the I well, I was I had a job in Midtown on twenty third and Park and it was like everything just went out and we, yeah. were, we were just getting ready for the night and it was waiting tables and we we're getting ready for the night and we we're just like, Oh, that's weird. You know, what happened? We start and then we look outside and people are like, Oh, there's smoke coming from that building. Maybe something's going on over there. Uh-huh. And we're like, What? And we looked up and it didn't look like anything. I was like, what are you talking about? It's a cloud. And um, then we look and there's like, people are just gathering on the street and everyone's like, well, what's going on? And then I see a bus go by with like 50 people stuffed into it. No <laughs> traffic lights anywhere. I was like, well, I guess there's no power anywhere. And so they were just, all right, go home, guys. And we walked all the way down to the Williamsburg Bridge and across the bridge, they had stopped traffic and let people just walk across the bridge because the trains weren't running, right? Right. And so... um and I got to my uh, my house. I was living with my girlfriend at the time. And I get to the house and the doorbell didn't work. I didn't know it because I pushed the doorbell and then they, they all, everyone in the house just came down right at that right, right at that moment. And uh, and they're like, oh my God, how long have you been out here? And I was like, I just got here. It was so, so great. It was perfect. <laughs> but we had, um, we had a lovely evening. We went to the, all the bodegas were giving out their ice cream. Ice it was cream. melting, you know? And so I was like, yeah, man, I was a big Ben and Jerry's fan. Yeah, yeah. Got chubby hubby. We <laughs> went to the water and just looked at the silhouette of Manhattan with no lights on. It was super beautiful. Like stars everywhere. And it was just like, there was like three lights on from generators throughout the entire skyline. But it was, it was crazy. Yeah, was once cool. everybody realized that it was not a terrorist attack I don't, Yeah, well, exactly. That was it the became thing. That, like, it became a party. It became a party. I um, walked past a Ben and Jerry's on like... In the East Village, and there's, there's one like, on like Second Ave. Or there's something. like a, there's like twenty people out there, like with one guy holding <laughs> a five gallon tub, and everybody else standing around with, with spoons. spoons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it's summertime and it was hot. Yeah. And it was like everything melted. That was amazing. And yeah, the, the, do you remember the band Japanther? Yeah, I think it was them. But like we went to the East River, and they're just like getting naked, jumping in the river, just like yelling about this dude. <laughs> We're like, no, it's a not, lot of man. Go get a tetanus shot right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's wild. <laughs> so disgusting. Well, we left town the next morning. We had intended to go out to the beach, and uh, so we went down to 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 uh, the train station and. 
we got the first train out and like we were, we were sitting there with like our beach stuff. <laughs> my, my, then at, the, at that point, girlfriend, now wife. And uh, we're like, you know, all fresh faced and ready to go. And all around us is people in like wrinkled suits who had been sleeping in the train station. Oh, no. The train was all like miserable New Jersey commuters. Oh, no. And then like us, like, all right, we're off to the beach. And they're just like, oh, just trying to get home. Oh, that's the worst. (laughs) That's the worst. Yeah, I was leaving New York. I was like, I was working on the Warp Tour. And I think it ended in New Jersey. And we're driving like all the gear back. And I remember like seeing just darkness. Oh, really? But yeah, but I wasn't in the city. Crazy. It was Before my time. Yeah. It was, it was uh, what an experience. <laughs> so, uh, 2012. 2012. Flash forwarding. Yeah, flash forwarding. Dana Bowie started. Dana Bowie started. Um, yeah. I put out that first record with um, this label, uh, Lefsa. I don't know if they're still around anymore, but um, yeah, it was um, it was an awkward timing for, for, for him the guy that ran the label, he was he he ran into a few problems at the time, so he kind of, well, I mean, I try to be as politically nice as I can, but he dropped he dropped the ball. Yeah, right. And so it's just like it's a very diplomatic way of saying it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. So that was uh, so that kind of just didn't do much. Um. And then after that, I, I put out an EP uh, and kind of did a little tour around that with um, opening up for uh, Sylvanesso, and um, we we shared a manager at the time, and so that was that was nice and. Uh, but it didn't do much. And then after that, I just kind of like gave myself like, I never really worked without a deadline. You know, I always had like Akron, we always had like, you know, well, we want a record by this time and we have two weeks as a band to be together. So we got to write it now and just, you know, kind of was very, um, constricted by time. And so this, the, the, the current record that I'm working, that I'm releasing in this, this month, um, I just gave myself nothing but time. Right. Which is like, it can be just as crippling because you have, you know, I mean, I can arrange things in so many different ways and I can, it's hard to make a choice about things sometimes. And so I find, uh, you know, it was, it was, it was, it was a different experience for me, but it was nice. I mean, at the end of it, I was pretty excited about where I ended up with all these songs. So, so it was a good thing, but, um, yeah, yeah, that's this record. Yeah. I mean, so I feel like with that, like sometimes too, were you just doing it at home? Yeah. With the writing just at home. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't, um, I wasn't working a job at the time because uh, Portland, Oregon, <laughs> and so I um, I would just go downstairs in, in with my coffee, you know, and uh, just just get started in the morning and just kind of power through the day and um, lose focus, come back later and just gain focus and just kind of it was nice, it was cool, just really relaxed and just you know, just nothing but creative. I got to do anything I wanted to. There was no the thing about writing by yourself versus with two other very strong creators is that you don't have to um you don't have as much like conflict at sometimes you know what i mean like it's i feel like a lot of times to get your idea across in certain situations with well with those guys it was it was a you know it was, it was a struggle to articulate what i wanted to say at times and so i feel like i just didn't have the energy to con- to like really fight for some ideas whereas in this situation i didn't have to worry about that as much so i could just try anything whenever i wanted it however i wanted it and see what happened with it. And so that was, that was really nice and liberating. And, um, and I feel like the music was better for it. You know, it was cool. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, so, uh, what's sort of like the live, the live performances like the live setup these days? Um, it's a duo. It's me and my uh, good friend, Justin, who, uh, uh, we grew up together in Pennsylvania and he lived here in New York for, um, about 10 years as well, I guess. Yeah. 
Um, but I convinced him to move out to Portland a few years ago, five years ago, I guess now. And, uh, and so he came out and we just, we've been performing together ever since. And, um, it's currently a duo, uh, based around samplers. I, we recently both got the, um, Octatrack from Electron. Have you ever played with those? No. Brad, you familiar with this? It's so fun. It's, in fact, I, I think a good way to say it is maybe Ableton in a box, you know, a piece of hardware. Oh, really? Yeah. How many pads does it have? Well, it's not pad oriented. It's, um, it's all like, it's got eight tracks, right? Eight tracks of, um, of samples that you can do and then eight tracks of MIDI. And it's a great like master for MIDI and all this. It's, it's really wonderful. Oh, is it kind of like an MPC or something? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But, um, a lot more, the learning curve for me was I used an MPC for the first record I wrote with an MPC, actually the first Dana Bowie record I wrote with an MPC. And this one, um, is, it's it was a lot steeper of a learning curve, but now that I've I've under, I understand it and I've gotten into it more, it's so much nicer for me. Like I mean, it, I feel like I can have I have a lot more control over all the samples and like it's it's right. called a digital performance sampler and it really right. does like push towards performance aspects of um of, of of this, which is awesome because like a lot of samplers that I used before just didn't have the flexibility to like make it feel like a live thing. Right. Whereas this has that and it also has the MIDI capabilities where you can like assign like we have running um the two samplers uh we have uh, a moog sub fatty for our bass i got one of those roland d5 d05 um modules like they recently reissued yeah yeah those it's like are bo- cool. the boutique series yeah, um yeah. i also have the jp08 and justin has the sh01 um we don't use the jp on stage. those look like a blast i've never played with they're them, so much fun they, yeah. they, and they sound just like the originals right specifically the d05 is literally because that was a digital synthesizer at first right yeah. and it, it's literally that yeah, yeah but just with new features you right. know what i mean so it's like it's so much fun and, and tiny and yeah and it fits in your backpack yeah, yeah, yeah. you can or if you have a big pocket it fits in your pocket right. um, <laughs> it's great and so and so, but yeah, so that's all um, getting routed out through the MIDI and it controls there and you can do like, you know, CC values to like futz with filters on these and things like that, you know, and it's, it's really, it's really fun. Um, but the Octatrack is like... I check it out. It sounds, I always, because the thing about Ableton was, is that it almost, that I think the reason it was such a big success is because it kind of feels like hardware. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? The way yeah. you interact with it as opposed to all the other uh, like workstations that you know, we're usually just based on, they're like these virtual versions of like, what was what you, an untouchable on, kind of situation anyways, you know, the tape and, yeah, and yeah, a mixer. Yeah. And like, so, and I thought Ableton kind of always, that was what was cool about it. Just the way yeah. you arranged, it felt more physical. Yeah. So like, that sounds brilliant. Like yeah. a, a complete hardware solution. Complete hardware. Yeah, exactly. And it's nice. I mean, like I, I, I was never really a fan of, well, I mean, I suppose in like the two thousands, I would see bands play laptops on stage and it was the new, a new yeah, thing. And I was right. like, Oh, cool. And you know, the first time you see the guy end his set by just closing the laptop, mind blowing, right? It's <laughs> the one. <laughs> um, but then it became a thing where like every time I saw a computer on stage, I was, I was like, I didn't see a performance. I saw, a guy working on his computer, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I was a bit, a bit like, well, I don't know about that. And so personally, I didn't, I, I didn't feel like I could perform like that. And so um, having this hardware makes it so much nicer because I can just like either forget about it, let it do its thing, that I pre-programmed it to like move enough to make it feel vibrant, you know? Right. And I can be over here just like shaking my butt and singing my songs. Right. Or I can be engaged with it and like use, for example, the delay control and just like completely like futz with like the beats on that 
thing and it's like oh it's so much fun i'm turning into an advertisement for this machine. <laughs> yes, I, I want one now. <laughs> i know right? i totally like want talking, one well it has talk. this like slider thing which goes back and forth between what they call scenes and so you say scene a is like you're you know you have it set up to like say play like your drums however you want them to be played in the right and if you go over to scene b you can like set different parameters whether it's a delay or like uh uh, uh like a pitch or uh, a re-trigger effect for hi-hats. It's really nice for trap music, you know, and right. um, to just like slide it over and get like real quick. And oh, sick. Things like that, you know, just really, or reverse samples. And it's just, it's just, and, and there's so many different things you can do with the scenes that makes it just like really fun and really performative. And right. like, I mean, you have to invest a lot of time on the front end to sort of figure out yeah. things, but I mean, that's fun because that's just like, you're just messing around and seeing what sounds interesting. So, and if you use Dana's link, you can get ten percent off. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that true? We'll give the link at the end. That's right. Link in bio. Um, <laughs> do, you, so do you play live drums at all, or it's all kind of more? Um, no, I I do have um, a drum pad like the SPDSX, you know, that I do perform live electronic drums. Okay. On stage, um, I didn't bring me bring it with me for this performance here in New York tomorrow because. Um, too much gear yeah i couldn't fly with it and so i was like and we figured out a way to do the songs that we do that with without it so it was um it was fine but uh yeah i i but live there's the mostly those and i do play live guitar and two of us singing and so um yeah it's pretty fun i think it's comes across well it sounds really good you know so, yeah i saw the opposite thing at the place you're playing you're playing berlin right mm-hmm. yeah i saw a band play there who were like had like a big Big, some kind of like big management deal. They were a good band, but they had like a truck of gear outside <laughs> oh this God. place. And I remember like Berlin. Yeah, <laughs> I remember the people that worked there were like, "Are you guys serious?" And it yeah. was like just so much gear. And they were like, had just played like a festival in like New Jersey, oh. and they were like, "Yeah, this is just like what we're touring." And so I don't know, like yeah, and it was That's just like so sounded good, but it was just like everyone there was like, "This is insane." <laughs> <laughs> Man, it's, it reminds me of every time we would play Milwaukee on tour. The, this. They always had this band open up for us called um, Rope. <laughs> I think that was the name, Rope. But the drummer would always insist on using his own kit. Right. And he had I literally racks of pots and pans above his like 18 tom-toms. Yeah. And real pots and Real pans. pots and pans. Like I'm not even kidding. Man. Like real <laughs> pots and pans. This, this guy was a trip. And I was, I was just like, all right, man, yeah, you, you have to use that drum set, <laughs> oh obviously. Well, let me ask you this. As a drummer, I mean, we both played in bands a long time. Yeah. You, I've never played drums. I was playing guitar. So every time I play a show, everyone's like, hey, can we ask if we can use this share drum set? Yeah. It takes a long, it's, what's your stance on like, you guys are headlining, like three opening bands all want to use your drums. Yeah. Are you cool with it? Are you one hundred percent? Yeah, one hundred percent. I feel like you can go either way. People can. Well, I used to be the opposite. Really? I used to like. I used to be pretty because um, I don't know. I, I I had this when I was younger. I, I had a, a drum kit custom made for me, and I was like very protective about it because sure. I invested a lot of money into it. You know, I was just like, oh, they're my babies, and like I'm really sensitive about these things. And um, you know, I don't know how you play, and so you could just be a barbarian that comes up and like because I ran into that like guys that just don't yeah. care and they just like are kicking your drums over and like literally just like doing their thing on your instrument you're like no totally what are you doing totally. i or thought we had a mutual them. respect or something going on or the tuning thing yeah that's, yeah, that's somebody, i mean it's rare but it's rare but like that, that would yeah yeah um anyway so but then like after a while uh i was just you know you tore enough and you're just like 
you get lazy. Yeah. And I just got lazy. I was like, yeah, man, I would rather not move my drums. So please use these. And I was also getting sponsorships from different companies that would let me just borrow a drum kit for a tour. And I was like, and yeah, not mine. I don't care. Let's yeah, just, totally. Let's yeah, it. that makes it a lot like. But do, you, helps. do they have to use their own snare? Uh, I didn't really care to be honest. Really? No, okay. not so much. I mean, they would prefer it a lot of times, and so there was yeah, it yeah. often went that way. But um, a thing we actually started doing was um, <laughs> my favorite move. This was like an adverse reaction. Like I had in the beginning of Akron tour, I had to set up so much gear, so much crap. I was I was set up a drum set, you know, which takes a bit of time to set up. Sure. I had to set up my, the glockenspiel, which was next when I played my next, you know, I, I had to set up my saxophone. I was playing saxophone. <laughs> I had a guitar. I had a little looping station. You know, it was oh 360 degrees of sound, which was great, but it was just me dealing with all this stuff, right. you know? What was your time, setup time average night, would you say? Like oh, man. An hour? No, I got it down pretty good. It, yeah. I got it. I got it under 40 minutes. Okay. Yeah. But you know that was but still after, a lot more than like after speaker cable plug into get guitar yeah exactly yeah <laughs> all right I'm gonna go have a beer head down yeah. plug in go drink beer yeah, if you totally. take that forty minutes every day and teach yourself how to use the electron is that what it's called yeah <laughs> the octatrack <laughs> yeah dude there, there you go. go then you're a master that's how you that's a that's where the uh, after one year you'll yeah, be a master exactly um, but that was yeah so like and and because of all that I was just like I started like trimming things out I was like oh, I don't know if I want to bring the saxophone anymore right oh, I don't want to bring the television set anymore <laughs> that was what Seth played um, <laughs> I don't know if I want to bring this and that and then now actually you know what I don't think I need a rack tom anymore mm. and now I only need one cymbal so, so I ended up with just a hat cymbal snare kick floor that was it that was my setup and, and a happy it. sound man and a happy sound man, exactly. <laughs> then I was friends with best friends with every sound man. But that I actually really like. It was also nice to be able to like you know think differently and like just you know force yourself to be creative in that with those limitations, which was fun. Um, but yeah, yeah. So um, we a thing that I got into towards the end of Akron tours was uh, getting um, requesting that the opening bands bring the drums. <laughs> oh, yeah, nice. that's the way to go. I'm the worst. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, can you guys bring the drums? Yeah, you set them up. I mean, I would help every right. now and again. My band, Your Nations, has done something even worse, which I would say we, uh, we had opening bands had to provide drums and amps. <laughs> I'm not kidding. You guys are joining a Honda Civic. Talking. You're just driving like it's just four people in a car. It's so brilliant. We were just like down a foot. Yeah, and like we yeah, did. Well, hey, this. man, we'll bring the crowd. <laughs> we're like, we'll you know bring, what I mean? You yeah. bring the gear. This yeah. Totally. Like we'll bring heads and we'll bring cymbals and snare. And yeah, and we did it with this band Frameworks and now we're really good friends with them. They're a great band. But yeah, we've done a couple tours like that. It's kind of smart. We did a man. West Coast tour like that. Where like we were like if if you want to open that's awesome but like and here's we our need spec gear. sheet for yeah. what we need <laughs> and it worked and it's good and the band was we did a West Coast tour with that and the band was based with this band Silver Snakes they're based on the West Coast it worked out great they're a really good band but yeah, yeah. it can be it, it can be it a so good much thing. easier it and, makes it so much easier and you get easier. so much less precious about that stuff too you're totally like, totally it's yeah. gonna sound well like the me. truth is is that it actually makes it it makes it easier for them they're gonna have to bring their shit anyways totally and if they don't have to carry their cabinets off after they're set yeah. Fuck yeah, man. Yeah. Just set it and forget it. Yeah. yeah. It's great. Everybody's happy. Sound yeah. man doesn't have to unplug and re or just resound every band and everybody's happy. No, it's true. That happened when I did that tour with, with uh, Sam I Am. Sergi's amp. Like, Wait, Sam like, I Am? You toured yeah, with Sam I Am? years ago. Like the band that does Capsize? Yeah. Does? yeah. Oh, sure. dude, I love that band. But yeah. literally like the first, this was, we, did, we played 60 something shows and like the third or fourth show, my, uh, Sergi's amp blew up his, his cabinet. 
And he's like, can I use yours? I'm like, yeah, fuck yeah, dude. Use <laughs> it for the rest of the tour. Just take it off the stage every night. <laughs> I want to plug Sergi's new band. You should check Racket Club. Racket Club? Sergi from Sam A.M. and Blair from like the Jell Sound and Appsack. Oh, cool. It's, it's, they put a record last year. It's like one of my favorites. What's the name again? Racket Club. Racket Club. Yeah. Self-titled record. Check Sweet. it out, everyone listening. Ten percent off in the <laughs> yeah, ten percent off. Hi, Sergi. Uh, but uh, I wish that Benny was here because you're rocking these Trailblazer socks. Oh, dude, don't even get me started on the Blazers. I am a huge, huge fanatic. Yeah, for for those of you who's who can't see, pretty amazing. Who's only, on this sock? Is this Clyde Drexler? Number twenty-two. Absolutely. He's the only, he's the only Blazer I can name. I have like oh, a very man. small window of. There's a new one that you should know. His yeah. name is Damian Lillard. Okay. Perhaps you've heard of him. I have not heard of him. <laughs> the letter O. No. <laughs> Three-time NBA All-Star, Damian Lillard. Our other host, Benny, is a Nets uh, season ticket holder. So I've been to a couple games. That poor guy. <laughs> I'm so sorry. It was amazing, man. The Nets, you know, New Jersey, they had a few fine years with Jason Kidd. And, you know, they went to the finals. And it was cool. But then they moved to Brooklyn and they tried to make this big splash with, like, these trades for, like, the Boston Celtics big three, right? They bring Ray, our, uh, Paul Pierce and, and Kevin Garnett down to Brooklyn to like, you know, we're going all in. We're going to win a title in our first year. Let's do it for Brooklyn. And it just falls flat. Yeah. They put this super team together that just falls flat. Darren Williams just turns into like mashed potatoes on the court. You know, he's just not doing anything. Like Joe Johnson, well, he still shot well, but like just was not the Joe Johnson. I think it was because he was overpaid where, you, where, where I look at him like, well. Um, but yeah, man, that was just a flop. Oof, what a mess. <laughs> and the, and then the problem is, is that they traded like all their future first round draft picks to Boston to like get these guys here. You know what I mean? And so oh, now gosh, they have yeah. no no path forward. You know, they hire one of these guys from San Antonio as their their GM to kind of like get them back on track a few years ago. And I feel like he's doing a decent job. But even though they took Alan Crabb from us, which was ugh, I don't know why, but hey, man, good good on them. Were you, have you always been into sports or was it more kind of like, um, basketball? I've always loved basketball. I like, I, when I was a kid, like, you know, Michael Jordan was, you know, everybody's favorite is my favorite, but, um, I, I liked Clyde Drexler when I was younger. I liked like Dominic Wilkins, you know, like sure, sure. NBA. These are all players I know. So this is yeah. great. This <laughs> right. is the era this is, I was into the, basketball yeah, too. Probably. Totally. Yeah. yeah. It was, yeah, it was a good era. Um, <laughs> but, um, and then, you know, I started to, uh, just invest more in music. And so I didn't have as much time to kind of like, you know, watch, watch and keep up with sports. But, um, when I moved out to Portland, I just got obsessed with the blazers, man. It's like the pinwheel. It's hypnotizing. You know, you look at it for just a second and you're just like, Oh yeah, (laughs) what is that? You know, and you just want to like keep going. And I just went down the rabbit hole and I, you know, like I can, I can name you the roster one through well, 14 because we have an open slot right now. And I can give you the colleges that they went to. I can tell you the two way players we have, are the two players we have on two-way contracts, which you don't even know what that is. I don't, I don't <laughs> know what that's, that's that is. That's a new thing this year, man. That's a new two-way thing. Two-way contract. Let, yeah. me get, let me guess what it is. You <laughs> can <laughs> reverse your contract if you want. You can flip it inside out. You can flip it inside and out. And pay the NBA team you can, $10 yeah. million dollars a year. Yes, you can pay the team $10 million a year, but you get some kind of incentive for it. Yeah, you get a share in... Um, <laughs> You get a share in the uh, in the league. In the league, you're a part owner. You're a part owner of, two, the, of the league as a whole. Yeah, <laughs> two way contract. Is that what it is? Nope, not no. at all. Uh, <laughs> it's like it's a guy that you can have on a D league team that you can call up for 45 days 
maximum in the NBA. But it's uh, it's it's this new thing they're trying out this year. So you can now technically have 16 players on your roster, or 17 actually, I think, um, 15 full time, then two two ways. But yeah, yeah, it's very creative. Interesting. So there's so that's like the the double A's of basketball, the D League. The D well, the D League. I'm sorry, it's now called the G League because it's sponsored by Gatorade. Really? No. (laughs) D-League stands for Development League, right? It's like the guys that like you draft a college guy who you don't might not necessarily have time playing time for him because you have like a a full roster. You know what I mean? There's just too much depth in front of him. So, but you still want to get him run and develop the guy. So you send him to the D-League to get some run, right? And these are all like guys that like either just miss the NBA or like are in the same boat as the rookies that are playing in the D league to get playing time, you know? And so it's like a lot of teams have like their affiliates. Um, Blazers used to have one in Boise called the Idaho stampede. And, uh, they got rid of it a few years ago because it was just a little bit too far to kind of make it make any sense. You know what I mean? Um, so now when they assign guys to the D league, it's to like it, whoever effectively bids for the player's services, you know? So, um, Caleb Swanigan, our first round, one of our first round picks this year, just came back from the D League. We got, him. we picked him up in Detroit for tonight's game. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, that's crazy. So Gatorade just like is just call, yeah, just sponsors it and calls it the G League. Uh, yeah. I'm surprised that Gatorade <laughs> is still so popular. I feel like with like the rise of coconut water and all these yeah. other like hydrating, hydrating things, things that don't have yeah. as much like sugar and weird stuff in them. Yeah. Well, I think that part of it is like, and for sports specifically, I mean, like quick digesting carbs are like super beneficial for, you know, athletes in that, in, in that, in that realm. I mean, it makes sense, you know, cause you need, um, energy to burn. Sure. I mean, when you're already down at like 10% body fat, you don't have much to draw from. So right. yeah, it's fast effective. acting carbs. Yeah. I'm also very into nutrition. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm um, very into nutrition also. Really? Yes. Cool. Who are your gurus? <laughs> <laughs> well, I would say... Uh, I pick up things here and there. Yeah. Um, I'm very into, uh, I'm very into like, do you ever go to juice press here? It's like an organic juice place, but they have like, wait, do they sell, are there numbers on their bottles? Is it that thing? No, no, there's like 75 of them now. Okay. Um, but yeah. Locations or juices? Uh, locations. Okay. There's a bunch of them, but I'm really. All in New York? Uh, I think they're all, I think they're in like five states around here, but I do like smoothies every morning. I'm very yeah. into like, I've been dating someone. She's like very into, um, organic. Mm-hmm. And so she's really been helping me kind of like get, so I don't really have gurus, I guess, like aside from stuff I pick up, like sure. I listen to like Rogan and help like Rhonda Patrick on or someone sure. like that. Sure. But yeah, I'm got really into big into like this, uh, like collagen powder mm-hmm. and like, I just had some bone broth the other day. Bone broth. I'm doing fasting, intermittent fasting these days. Yeah, uh, I've heard them talk a lot about that. Dude, it's so awesome. Like, so tell us which one is this? So intermittent fasting. So you basically a ten hour window that you eat. Well, that's a a condensed eating window is one way of doing it. But the ones that I've been doing is I'm doing like a thirty six hour fast, and so um, I, I do it on. I've done it the past three weeks. I did it on Saturdays, right? So like Friday night, I have my last meal at say like. 7 30 8 o'clock and then i don't eat until at least 8 on sunday 8 a.m on sunday or maybe sometimes later because i, I sleep in right um although it's hard to sleep in when you're starving <laughs> so what 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 can you consume within that window uh well i do a water fast okay. okay so i i do um i drink water you can have black coffee no additives um you can have zero calorie drinks there's this thing called zevia it's like a soda, a zero calorie soda and it's sweetened with stevia, which is extracted from plants, right? Right. Um, but the reason that I drink that is because I was reading about 
apparently there's like this uh, this benefit. It's almost like a reverse metabolism sort of thing where like when it gets into your digestive tract, it does something to your insulin where it like lowers it to a point. Uh, actually, I should stop there because I'm not entirely clear on it without, I, I need to reread sure. it before I have a full grasp on I understand. it. But, um, but there was a benefit that had something okay. to do with like lowering insulin, right? And um, so, yeah, and green tea. And so those are pretty much the only things that you drink. Um, so you could do like um, matcha or something. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. As long as it's zero calorie. As long as zero um, calorie. Although I do do, uh, when I wake up on my Saturday, uh, it's been maybe 12 hours or so, I do have um, half of a lemon in water with okay. a shot of apple cider vinegar. And that's for digestive processes as well, right? Um, but the lemon does have a few calories in it. And some would argue that it would, that takes you out of a fast. You know what I mean? But there's another guy that I read, this, um, this YouTube guy, Thomas Delore, who has a lot of information on this, um, says, he, he argues that the benefits of this are far outweigh, you know, the, what you might see as a caloric spike because it's not going to boost your insulin. By right, means. right. It's just so small. So how often do you do the intermittent fasting? I've been doing it once a week, um, the 36-hour fast. Okay. For the, and this is, but this is new for me. Like, I only started it a few weeks ago. Um, and it's amazing. Like, I have so much energy. Really? When I'm fasting. Yeah. Like by hour, I mean, you feel crazy because if you're not used to it and you're not eating food, it's like every time of day that you would be eating, you don't know what to do with yourself because you're not cooking or, or looking for food. You're thinking about it, but you're not doing anything about it. And so you have to like find something to do with the attention, you know? And, um, you know, I, 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 I would like to say that I've become far more productive, but I haven't, <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's still it's still been really interesting. But yeah, I do. I have so much energy when I do it. It's really it's really fun. Um, but another thing that I should tell you about, though, please. Um, I've recently. You ever read Paul Stamets? He's a mycologist. Lives in the Seattle I've area. Heard? Of, I think maybe I name sounds familiar. He's he, he's done some TED talks and he's got a lot of great speeches out there on how um, his whole. Th- position is mushrooms can save the world right and he's oh, a lot I saw of great him. he was on rogan he had a mushroom a hat yeah. made out of mushrooms hat made out of mushrooms yes exactly this, he's a fascinating guy he's fascinating yes yeah. i did i listened to like a three-hour interview with him go down the rabbit hole with okay. that guy man he's okay. got great information really interesting things um he saved his mother's life effectively with his research on turkey tail mushrooms she had breast cancer and like um she was like given like six months to live or something and like decided to go to an alternative medicine guy and uh, Germany, I think, who was like, oh, well, I'm doing, you know, some work with this research. Re- I read about turkey tail mushrooms and she's like, my son has done that research. And so through that, um, she went into complete remission. And like two years after that happened, she was in the front row of one of his talks and he like, it was very emotional, um, but effectively saved her life with his research in mushrooms. What's um, the treatment? It was like a, well, it was, the, the turkey tail was added to another an already existing treatment for, okay. um, for, breast cancer, um, which I don't know what that treatment is, but, um, turkey tail was additive and that was like the difference maker. Um, but he's done things with like oil spills where like they plant a certain mushroom on the coastline in San Francisco. They did this, um, where they plant this mushroom on the coastline or rather the, they spread the mycelium on the coastline and, um, it absorbs the toxins and neutralizes them out of the soil on its own. That's just what they do. And then he does all this stuff with like the intelligence of mushrooms. Yeah, he's like, this, like, like nature's the subway thing. The subway thing in Tokyo. <laughs> yeah, the subway thing in Tokyo. Can you explain that? I uh, feel like you do, loosely. Ba- ba- he like basically like, you might be able to help me, basically like they somehow set up like a replica of the Tokyo subway. Of the subway system, yeah. And then inno- in- inoculated it with like mycelium, right? Right. And then it naturally mapped out the most, uh, the, the most, um, uh, not economical, but the uh, most... Uh, just, 
direct efficient, or efficient yeah efficient efficient routing throughout routing that was actually more efficient than the one they had designed yeah like really yeah their, their, their tokyo's subway system was designed by a mushroom yeah <laughs> it actually like figured out things that like the human brain couldn't <laughs> well like this he argues uh, that it's like a living breathing yeah, yeah, yeah. microorganism right it's like it's like this and it's all like the mycelium is all connected underground right and so right. a lot of these like forests are just one big network no, i've heard about like the internet he, yeah, yeah, he yeah. equates it to the internet like one big thing and in, in eastern oregon actually is the largest right. living membrane and it's only one cell wall thick right, right. but it's the largest living membrane ever. right it's it's incredible apparently i've seen photos of it from above uh, from from it's in the John Day fossil bed area, and it's it's this beautiful part of Oregon. But you can see photos of it. It's really interesting. But um, he hipped me to uh, lion's mane mushroom, which is really good for like your brain, right? Okay. And so I've been trying to like grow my brain. Yeah, <laughs> so totally. I get it. A lot of lion's mane mushroom, but that um, I do a blend of that uh, cordyceps and reishi mushroom. Those are like my jams. Yeah, I'm so into that. I have a friend. You should look into those. Things. I will. I have a friend who's uh, plays in like a super heavy band, and he's like before every show, cordyceps. Yeah, dude. And he's like, yeah, it, it man, it'll change your life. Yeah, that's what I've heard. And you can get them at foursigmatic.com. <laughs> <laughs> when did you sort of like start getting interested in like this? Because like I feel like this stuff doesn't like is, I, I'm interested in, and I do stuff like this. But I feel for a lot of people, this probably sounds like totally pretty far out there sure sure um just like the nutrition thing in general yeah i guess the nutrition thing or like the yeah because i feel like or just like the fasting or just, i guess nutrition mm-hmm. in general but sort of like taking the step as a from like just like learning about it to being like i want to try yeah. this yeah well i mean i i think that i guess i got into it because of um i mean i was always in i i, I like health and fitness and like i'm i'm interested in like exercise and like you know keeping my this is the only body that you get right so treat it well you know and so and i didn't do that for many many years while i was on tour because i was a pretty heavy drinker and i just drank every day because for me it was the easiest way to get through a tour you know it's like just it's and it's always available and it's free it's like right there it's in your green room every day and it's just like all right because i mean a lot of time on tour you know it's hurry up and wait you know you get to a venue now you gotta wait for this to happen so you're just sitting around there's a bottle of wine a bottle of whiskey I don't got to be anywhere, you know, totally. Yeah. And it's the only job where you might actually benefit from a few drinks. You know what I mean? You loosen up yeah. a bit. So you're out there kind of like performing better. But um, so after years and years of drinking, I was just like, you know, I, 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 when I moved to Portland, I was mentioning that I stopped drinking at the time. It was partly to kind of focus on health and kind of try to get more, um, you know, just feel better. And um, uh, and so at that point in time, I started to just go down the rabbit hole, just reading about different people's approaches and I got into this guy, Lyle McDonald, who has uh, really great books, but they're just, they're very scientific. And so it's like a lot of just like nerd information, right? And it's like the systems of what's actually happening when you ingest food and like when you overeat, when you undereat, like what systems and hormones are coming into play in your body and what's going on and like, you know, decreases in, in your, in your, in your, in your leptin. And you need to like boost that with like a refeed and just like all types of weird details of different strategies to like either lose fat, maintain muscle or just gain muscle, you know? Um, but anyway, so I started reading this guy and he was really interesting. Uh, and then from there, I just kept on just searching out more and more information. And I just, you know, it's just accumulated to this point of, uh, becoming a lifestyle. And it just, it felt like it was a very natural progression out of not wanting to be a complete wasted drunk. Yeah. Is it hard to like keep that stuff up when you're on tour? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing is that like, 
it you know road stops are not catered towards health in right. any way it's just sugar you know sugar 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 salt that's it sugar salt that's it that's all Starch. it is and it's just like yeah. in that just like the dopamine yeah. you know the reward pathway is what that is it just right. satisfies that right away and there's this um i'm reading a book called the hacking of the american mind by dr robert lustig and he talks about this and uh it's a really interesting read but um and that's fascinating, actually. I haven't gotten all the way through the book, but he talks a lot about it. And uh, and after you just see these things and you start to think about it in that in that way, where it's like sugar is a brain hack, and it's you know putting food to just keep you to keep buying it. It's you, you're you're like, well, shit, that sucks. Um, and so, yeah, I'm trying to resist that as much as I can. But yeah, on tour, it's like that's all that there is in the rest stops. I've taken to like finding like the local like health food store or or Whole Foods or whatever it is that you can find because that's pretty common on the road. And um, you just drive into town a little bit further and you can get to, you know, a ready-made buffet of, you know, you got, you got chicken breasts at the deli counters or whatever right, it is right. and you can eat healthy. And, and that's, so that's my strategy on the road. But I also like tend to like buy like a day's worth of food when I go there and just kind of like have that in the car to snack yeah. on, which is nice because then you don't got to think about it later. You know, you do one trip and boom. Did you read this article? I read this recently. I heard about this on a podcast about, this New York Times expose about how the sugar industry like bribed all these doctors Paid, to like basically dude. like be like saturated fat's really bad, sugar's not bad. And yeah, like man. they knew sugar was terrible. Absolutely, for you. dude. Oh, that's the paid research thing. Who's that guy? Uh the the InfoWars oh, Alex crazy Jones? person. Yeah. Alex yeah. Jones has his quote unquote did you see that John Oliver special on it? No. Where he has his quote unquote doctor, but this guy's not a doctor. Oh, and sure. they're trying to sell you some like yeah, this, I don't even know what he's doing, man. That man is crazy. What the heck? <laughs> the hell is he thinking but i mean i bet he makes money right that's the thing sure. like people like buy it and they're just like oh well, it's like the same thing with like who do you, you know believe? like the cotton industry like going against hemp and yeah. like that's what like it's like yeah. all of this stuff it's all to is save just, your own skin yeah someone jp morgan scared he's his industry is gonna go broke so they like fake all these studies and then like mm. 50 years later yeah. we're still like trying to like it's so crazy it's so crazy i mean and yeah evidenced by the current political state yeah you know it's like it's so far and it's just such a and if you have enough money you can pay people to say anything yes and then you can gain an audience for that voice and then people will believe you and it's just so it's just so frustrating to like not have a clear you know unified answer from everybody based on science you know based on things that have actually proven to be true yeah, you know, it's like it's. I don't get it. I watched this documentary last night. It really falls into line with this. It's this new thing on Netflix. It's like a series about money or something. I can't remember what it's called. I'll find out. It just popped up, and the first one is about Volkswagen, about the diesel thing. Huh. And it's this whole story behind like how Volkswagen like started Nazi Germany, and then like all the, like the whole history how they rebranded in the '60s and became this cool company, and how no one could figure out how they created a diesel that ran so efficiently. And then how like they basically just like hacked the 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 test, right? And then this this co- this like college like these like small group of people like figured it out, yeah, through testing it. And they went back, and then instead of admitting it, they like tried to like fix the hack by like changing it again. Like they and, like <laughs> these people are like, dude, they wasted so much of our time. Like they just yeah. wouldn't admit it, and they kept and like then like how it came out. And it's so crazy how these just so many people just lying about this thing. Yeah, yeah. And just like the amount of money that's at play and like billions of dollars and these recalls. It's so crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, accountability can be, you can buy your way out of it. Yeah. That's the lesson, you know? Yeah. And so that's what sucks. And it's just like, 
And that's the and that's the foundation of where we operate from. You know what I mean? Sure. And that's the bummer about the whole thing. Yeah. It's like, uh, where's Bernie? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. God damn it! I feel like he's probably like he's probably like what eating like an acai bowl. Or he's something. out there fighting, man. He's <laughs> yeah. I see him on MSNBC. He's yeah. out there fighting, and it's like, but that's so frustrating too. God damn it! I don't want to go political on you guys, but I got to vent <laughs> for a second. I can't stand just sitting here and watching people like say things that are like you know i don't know why there's no republicans outside of people that aren't running for re-election that are willing to stand up to like just absolute bullshit that they see every fucking day and you're just like oh god and then the democrats sit on the other side of the aisle and complain about it but what actions are you taking you haven't even been able to like have you tried like passing the legislation to protect robert Mueller's job like i heard that that was introduced but where did it go from there did you push it did you at least try to get a vote on it. Like, what? What the hell's happening, man? Yeah, come on. Yeah, they seem pretty meek. <laughs> Ugh, it doesn't make any meek sense. And evil, meek and evil. Two different sides of the. Well, yeah, I was I listened to this podcast yeah. this morning. Do you ever listen to that uh, daily, that New York Times daily podcast? Mm-mm. You should check this one out. Me and Dan were talking about podcasts before we met up, but it's like they do like twenty minutes of like news for the day, like every every weekday. Oh, I I get the Times the brief. Okay, like, probably similar. Very similar, probably. But yeah, they're talking about Trump and like. How he's taking all this credit for the economy and how like they're like, dude, this stuff is in play like for like eight years. Like yeah. it doesn't or like jobs are it's like, dude, this doesn't happen like overnight. It's like yeah, the audacity up. of that man to say that, <laughs> no, that so crazy. employment rates of African Americans are lowest that they've ever been. The fucking nerve that that asshole had to sit up there and say that I at his state of the union. I was like, You have got to be kidding me, man. This is just like it's that alternative reality thing. It it, it just sure. confirms one hundred percent that that's what happened. Somebody stepped on a butterfly and this is what happens. And I was listening to a podcast yesterday with uh like we were talking about Sam Harris earlier, and mm-hmm. it's like that they were like, What's the thing? Maybe it wasn't no, I think it was. Maybe it was one of those other guys, like I can't remember, but uh it wasn't him. It was someone else. But yeah, the confirmation bias. And I feel like I'm guilty of that too. Yeah. Like you really do seek out stuff that confirms what you're, what you're thinking. And I'm yeah, yeah. really conscious of that, but I'm also like It's true. It's true. Yeah. It's the human way. It really is. Well, but I mean, open yourself to Donald Trump's perspective and then talk to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. It's just a frighteningly extreme example. <clears throat> it really is. But um, but you, the other podcasts I like are all Blazers related. So Yeah. <laughs> are, you, are you hopeful about the future, Dana? Well, I think that because the Eagles won the Super Bowl, yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's the first step. Because remember last year... It was like the Falcons-Patriots thing. Like That was like right after the election, the Patriots win. You're just like, God, no, this is all wrong. This is just terrible. <laughs> this year... And Brady's a, you know, he's a friend of the... Friend, friend of, of the devil. Yeah. This year, it's, the, it's, 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 it's literally that, that whole like Star Wars saga thing. You know, like the New Hope or the end <laughs> was Obama and then the Return of the... Or the Emperor Strikes Back is Trump and now Return of the Jedi is Bernie is going to come in and save the day. <laughs> it's all happening, man. Awesome. We're good. We're good. So is is Akron family, is that still like an active thing? Or No, we took hiatus back okay. in twenty thirteen, I think. We did like gotcha. we did our third tour of Japan and um it was amazing. I love touring Japan. It's my favorite place to tour. It's so much fun. Um but we were just like, well, you know, I mean we don't have any plans for we we're not under contract for another record. We don't live in the same town, we don't create as much as we used to together and we're all doing our own solo things right now so we should just take a hiatus and kind of focus on those and um you know we didn't break break up the band you know technically so it's still 
apparently a thing, I think. Not really. Maybe. I don't know. The, the, the potential exists to maybe pick up the pieces at some point in time. But whether or not that happens, I don't know. And uh, when I, is even further from my yeah, yeah. knowledge. But um, yeah, I mean, I love creating with those guys. I thought it was fun. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if we do something else. Um, but Seth and I are doing some touring together in March. Um, we're going to do a side dune and Dana Bowie co-headline tour in the Northwest oh, and nice. out to Tree Fort Music Festival. So that'll be fun. Kind of, kind of getting the band back together yeah, a little yeah, bit, yeah. you know. I mean, we'll sit in on each other's songs throughout the set. So I don't know. Maybe Akron fans will want to see that. Yeah, I'm sure. Maybe. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, I don't know the people that came to our shows, man. <laughs> Why would you come to see such gratuitous affairs? You know, just like. <laughs> What are those guys doing up there, man? <laughs> Get it together. <laughs> oh, just kidding. I had fun. Those, the live shows were really fun for me. I yeah. think that's what made that band what it was, was the live show. All right. That was Dana Jansen, a.k.a. Dana Boy, on Going Boy. Off Track. <laughs> uh, check out his record, Ice Glitter Gold, uh, which came out. In February, so it should be very easy to find at this point. Yeah, you might even be able to get a discount on it. Yeah, hopefully. Can you get <laughs> discounts on that? I don't know. Can you even buy? Can you buy anymore? I don't know. I don't know if there's a. I don't know if there's a physical version of physical product. Dan- yeah. When's the last CD you bought? <laughs> like honestly, fucking, I don't know. Yeah. The last CD that I bought. The last music CD that I bought. Jesus. I'll bet. I'm not <clears throat> not positive, but I'll bet that it was the there was a replacements like box set that came out. Yeah, probably in the late '90s, early aughts. I think it was early aughts. I, I bet I bet that was probably it because, like, at that point in time, I also was pretty hooked up, you know, with music right, people. Right. Same so here. I got Same a lot here. of free music. Me too. I bought the Silkworm EP chokes. Which, if you haven't heard this, it's incredible. It's the last thing Silkworm ever released. But I remember buying it at a record store somewhere, at Kim's maybe, or maybe Airwax in Williamsburg. But I bought it. But, I mean, it must have been like 2008, 2009 maybe. Yeah. This. And then I bought something else. I bought, I bought like mail-ordered stuff that was only available on CD. But I don't think people even really do that. I think if you're doing stuff, it's going to all be, you're going to have a digital option at this yeah. point. Yeah. Used to be what I spent all my money on. <laughs> yeah. Literally, what I spent all my money on when I was working. Dude, the I, dude, I was watching something the other night about. It was talking about you know the de- the decline of the music industry, the whole fucking show, and like it mentioned, which I kind of had forgotten that you know, like in the nineties, when you went to Tower Records to buy a new CD, it fucking cost like eighteen dollars. Yeah, like that, and that was yeah. 20 years ago, it cost $18. Yeah. So that was like, what is that equal to now? Like 25 20, bucks? $25, $28. Like, that's a shit ton of money, man. Yeah. No wonder people like weren't buying fucking yeah. CDs. Yeah. Like, I had kind of glossed over that fact. And then, like, no, it they all were really, came back to me. They were really expensive. Yeah. I remember going to like Tower the- and just kind of like leafing through, just trying to find stuff that I wanted that wasn't. At the premium yeah. fucking top rate. And then the price to produce it kept getting lower and they never lowered the price to yeah. the consumers. So, uh, so yeah. good riddance. Yeah. <laughs> less stuff. I think less stuff is good. Yeah, I used to... I, did I tell you I worked at this record store in Cleveland? Uh, and we had this weird system where if you wanted to borrow 
quote, I'm saying quote unquote borrow a CD. You just wrote it down on this piece of paper. And so we, there's this tally. It'd be like Jonah, like whatever. <laughs> and then, and I was always like, this is like kind of a weird system. And then I went away to college or something and I came back and I was like, asked about my manager. I was like, Oh, where are my managers? And they're like, Oh yeah, they were both like stealing. Like they both got fired for stealing. <laughs> And I was like, oh, I guess this wasn't like an official system. <laughs> Borrowing. Borrowing, yeah. I was like, can you imagine going? And I, I also worked at Kids R Us that era where they would like check my bag if I was leaving. Like I was going to steal like a youth, like a infant, like onesie or something. And I had to like open my bag. I was like, that is so, so I was like, it's weird that, that, that this place i'm getting searched on my way out in this other place you can just take whatever you want if you write it on this piece of paper <laughs> but uh i think both are maybe a little too extreme in each direction yeah you're probably right ultimately all about moderation it's all about integrity and moderation yeah and honesty and honesty um if you enjoyed this podcast you can donate sure uh, you can go to our website Go to Venmo. Go to Venmo slash off track. Go to our website, goingofftrack.com. Yeah. There's links all over the website. Links all over the site. So, um, yeah, if you want to support us, we're not going to, we're not going to steal from you. We're not going to check your bag on the way out. Yeah. But, uh, if you want to throw a couple bucks at us, support the podcast, you can do that. Um, regardless, we'll be back with another podcast, a very exciting podcast. Oh yeah. Next week, one that I've been working on for a very long time. Woohoo. All right. Bye.